Well, for the past few weeks, we have been talking about D-list figures in the Bible. And we all know who those A-list figures are. The most A-list of all A-listers is Jesus, of course. Christians are crazy about that Jesus guy. We know all about him. But there's others, too, like David. Um, Some folks have whole books named after them, like Ruth or Esther. But then beneath them is just a lot of names that if we're familiar with the name, we don't know much about their lives. And it's interesting to me because I think this is an important conversation to be having as American Christians because Americans suffer, I think. I'm not like a great sociologist or anthropologist. I have no credentials to back up this statement. I'm just speaking anecdotally as somebody who has lived among the American people my entire life and who loves the American people. Um, I believe Americans suffer from what I call the main character problem. Uh, From the moment I was born until now, I have watched so many thousands of hours of movies and television shows. And if they're well-crafted, they're designed so that you feel and experience whatever happens to the main character as though it were happening to you. And so we're all kind of living in the Truman Show, I think just by virtue of how much media we've consumed, we are conditioned to view all of life through the foggy, egocentric lens of a main character. And so everybody in our life kind of becomes in this supporting cast role, or or maybe worse, an antagonist. (laughs) And what I find is that in America, we are increasingly people are not filling a supporting role in their marriages or in their churches, in their communities. Everybody's just, we're kind of just a country of all chiefs, no Indians. And so what we need to do is, and here's really, I think, one of the great things that Christianity has to offer our culture as it drifts continuously away from its Christian moorings is that what Christianity does, what the gospel does, what the great overarching meta-narrative of God's redemptive plan to save fallen man does, is it radically shifts our perspective. This life is not an unfolding drama that centers on me. I'm not the main character. Jesus is. This is all about him. And all of a sudden, I'm awakened to the sense that... I have, a, I have a role. I have an exciting place within the story that's happening that we're living in. Guys, we are living inside of a great story. And for those who have put their trust in Jesus for salvation, that story, guys, we're not even in the first line of the first chapter. It, it goes on forever. And we're a part of it. Um, and so one of the ways, things I love about focusing on these sort of D-list Bible characters is it sort of uh, confronts us with the fact that these people are just kind of beavering away in the background. They have a calling, God is doing something in their life, but they're not the main character of even what's going on in that stage of redemptive history. Like if we study David as we did for many months, David is kind of a, we're tempted to make him the main character of what we're studying. And we have to constantly fight our way back to saying, David is this imperfect figure who's meant to point us towards the perfect. Um, But here in these stories, we don't really have to struggle as much to do that. 
Um, and, and this morning, we're going to be studying a character. I'm really excited about it. And I'm really excited about what this does for my own heart. This morning, we're going to be talking about two characters um, named Bezalel and Oholiab. But before I do that, because we're talking about names and figures and stories that maybe we're not very familiar with, I want to give you just a brief preview of what we're going to be talking about next week. How many of you have ever heard the name Rabshakeh? <laughs> He's not a very well-known biblical figure. I uh, recently enjoyed on Netflix the documentary The Last Dance. It's about Michael Jordan and the Bulls of the 1990s. Have any of you watched that? Yeah, some of us are amazing. I'm not even a basketball fan, but I ate it up, loved it. One of the things I enjoyed most about the docuseries about Michael Jordan and that Bulls team that just dominated not only basketball, but professional sports, really, in that era, is the incredible art of trash talking. <laughs> some, <laughs> some of the figures you bump up against in the story of Michael Jordan and his professional basketball career are just incredible trash talkers, taking it to like a whole new level, getting in your head. And in the Bible, we find some good trash talkers. I think of uh, the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel with the priests of Baal. There's some uh, A-list trash talking going on on Mount Carmel when that happens. Or even David and Goliath when they square off. Goliath He's throwing it at David. David's throwing it right back. A lot of trash talk going on at the Valley of Elah. But I think the gold medal winner of the Bible trash talking contest, if we can celebrate that, <laughs> which as a pastor, I'm straying into some interesting territory with that statement. This isn't going out on the radio or anything, is it? Okay. Ah, rats. Is Rabshakeh. Look him up, Isaiah 36. I mean, this guy puts Michael Jordan to shame, I mean, as far as trash talking, in which if Michael Jordan heard that, according to the docuseries, he would, he would take it personal and need to take his trash talking to another level to beat Rabshakeh. His name probably was not Rabshakeh. That's probably his title, but the Bible gives that as the only handle we can assign to this guy in Isaiah 36, Rabshakeh. We're going to be talking about him and his story next week. But this week, we want to talk about Bezalel and Oholiab. And we find their story beginning in Exodus 31. However, in Exodus 25 through 30, these are the chapters that come right before we're introduced to Rabshake, I'm sorry, Bezalel and Oholiab. Uh, these chapters, 25 through 30, contain a lengthy list of detailed instructions for how to build the tabernacle. Besides the instructions for the tabernacle itself, God gave precise, detailed, elaborate instructions for the handcrafting of the Ark of the Covenant, the bread table, the lampstand, the lampstand's oil, the altar of sacrifice, the altar of incense, the incense itself, the water basin, the priestly garments, and the recipe for the holy anointing oil. Instructions for how to put these things together fill six chapters of our Bible. And one of the things that we have to think about, just the human element, is who are these instructions given to? They're given to Moses. And if any of you have ever been overworked, exhausted, stretched to the margins with stuff, 
How, do you, how much do you love being given six chapters worth of instructions on what you must build? I put myself in Moses' shoes. Uh, he's a gifted administrator, a very humble man, but he is trying to lead t- two million plus very fractious, difficult people through very difficult things. Every day is filled from top to bottom with a to-do list that makes me cringe and want to just take a nap. <laughs> and in the midst of that season, God shows up, and he, John, John Bloom, uh, writing for Desire and God, he makes this observation. In these chapters, God uses the phrase, you shall make. It occurs numerous times. And, he, and John Bloom points out that in the phrase, you shall make, and here we have to do a little bit of language study, In Hebrew, the you is what's called a a second-person masculine singular verb. In other words, John Bloom points out what God is actually saying in the most literal translation of this is, you, Moses, shall make. You, Moses, are going to make these things. And as I said, Moses already had an impossibly huge job leading over two million people through the desert. And if we look at all those you shall makes, From Moses' weary perspective, it looks like the last thing he needs is an arts and crafts project. But here it is. But then we come to chapter 31, and like a cool breeze blowing in on a hot day, these words must have landed on Moses' overworked mind. See? I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And Moses said, praise God. (laughs) They shall do. God gave Moses the abilities he personally lacked in the form of other able people. He expanded the you Moses shall make into they shall do. And this is a wonderful truth for us to celebrate as Christians living as we do in a great community like this. None of us are all that in a bag of chips. I oftentimes lament that God gave me such a narrow gifting Like, I have a gift. I have something to offer to God's people. I have a place to fill, and I'm excited about that. I enjoy my role, but it's very narrow. Nobody's calling Josh Tate to come help them with anything, (laughs) just about. Like, if you need help with something around your house, I know you're not calling Josh Tate. I'd come if you did. You know that, I hope. But I might be more of a problem than a help. And there's just various, some people are like pickup trucks. I mean, they can just do amazing things, and people call them all the time. I'm more like a mini cooper of a Christian. (laughs) Not a lot that you would ask me to do, but I like my calling. But here we come to a couple specialists. In Exodus 31, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge. Now we have to pause here for just a question, for just a second, and ask this. If you and I had never heard of Bezalel, and maybe you haven't, maybe this is all brand new to you this morning, after reading those first introductory words, 
what kind of call would you imagine Bezalel had on his life? Out of all that multitude of people, God singles out this man, calling him by name, and God fills him with the Spirit of God. By the way, this is the first use of that phrase in the Bible. This is the first time that the Bible ever tells us that a human being is filled with the Spirit of God. It's right here. And he gifts him with knowledge, intelligence, and abilities. If we stopped right there, what is gonna, God going to do in this man's life? Whatever his calling is, it sounds important. Is he going to be a military leader, a judge, a king of some kind maybe, prophet, priest? None of the above. Here is what Bezalel and his right-hand man Oholiab were filled with the spirit and wisdom to do to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. A couple chapters later, in chapter 35, uh, it repeats much of that same information, but adds, and he has inspired him to teach. Speaking of Bezalel, both him and Oholiab. So he also has a teaching role in the crafts that he has been called and given these abilities in. And then the next chapter, chapter 36, it says, And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord has put skill, and everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. And there the emphasis I want you to notice is on in whose heart their heart has been stirred up to come do the work. I think this is an important part of recognizing calling on our lives. Now, God is the creator. He is a maker of beautiful things. And how many times have you been brought up short by his handiwork? We are blessed to live in one of the most beautiful corners of God's green earth. And especially in this time of year, as we're driving along, we're just constantly confronted by the beauty of what God has made. And aren't you glad that you know who to thank when you step outside on a misty morning and you just breathe in the beauty of it all? Don't you know who to turn to and say, oh, God, that is good. That is amazing. The other day I stepped out and there were some tall grass growing there and there was a one of those perfectly shaped spider webs all jeweled with mist in the morning and it's just kind of like wow that's kind of neat it's really beautiful just look at the extravagant generosity of the fields full of dandelions and we're made in the image of that god guys you were made to image forth that god to represent his nature in the midst of the world that he made that's our calling in part, to image forth that creator God, which is to say that we are placed in the midst of his creation to reflect his nature. 
We are to be makers of beautiful things. Do you hear the Creator speak when He commands His church to go and make, to make disciples? And just as our Creator didn't make one kind of tree, but thousands with differing fragrances and colors and uses, we are to not to make one kind of disciple, one kind of Christian, but rather disciples from every nation and tribe and language with a great diversity of gifts. The diversity of Jesus' church in all of its expressions reflects the diversity we see in creation. The diversity of Christians in this room that I'm looking at right now reflects the diversity I see in God's created order. And it is beautiful to see it work together. The creative genius that made this earth and set it in the black vastness of space like a shining gem on a field of black jeweler's velvet is today doing a great creative work in and through his church. The verses that we are studying this morning begin by stating that out of the multitudes of God's people, a small number are called, gifted, and equipped for a specialized role in this creative effort. Now, the Great Commission makes it plain that all Christians are called by name to participate in the making of disciples, and that is the making of the most beautiful thing that can be made in the created world, which is a follower of God. But there is a unique creative calling on the lives of Bezalel and Oholiab that is something separate and unique from that which belongs to all believers. So this morning, I am going to be speaking, perhaps not to everyone here in the room, but to a few. I think I had a tempting moment in my office this morning where I would just kind of make Bezalel and Oholiab the general truth, something that could be applied to everyone but I feel like sometimes God is speaking to a specific subset of people. This morning's message may not be for you, but I believe it's for someone. So this morning I'm gonna be speaking, perhaps not to everyone into a room, but to a few who like Bezalel have a special calling on their life to worship God through their creative artistic gifts. Human beings are creative because we are made in the image of a creator God. Bezalel and Oholiab are specialists. Through their creative artistic giving, they image forth a God who made beautiful things out of the dust of the earth. Similarly, these men take raw, rough materials and they craft them into beautiful things to the glory of God. All people, all people, not just the Bezalel and Oholiabs, have a bent to, to create. And this is because we ourselves are created in the image of a creator God. God is the creator, and we who make up the church, his special people, have been called into relationship with him that we might share in his creative nature by producing and creating in ways that are beautiful and useful and helpful and in such a way that points people to God. But again, the creative drive in Bezalel and Oholiab is not the general kind, common to all, but a specialized sort. 
We're all creative in a sense. We work, we produce, we bring home the bacon, we make things with our hands, we garden, we bear children, remodel bathrooms, and in all of this, we do truly reflect the creator in whose image we're made. However, Bezalel and Oholiab, and perhaps some of you here in this room, again, feel a special God-given desire to make beautiful things to the glory of God. You're an artist. Maybe you're a storyteller, a dancer, a songwriter, a painter, a photographer, a poet, a knitter, a sculptor. There are so many different mediums and so many different kinds of artists. And before going any further, let me briefly, before we dive in here, let me address the non-artists in the room one more time. (laughs) Maybe you're here this morning and you're not an artist, like not at all. (laughs) That's okay. You're an engineer or an accountant or something, and you're you're right. We are probably not going to be talking about your calling and your gifting this morning. But let me also acknowledge and make plain that you are makers of beautiful things too. As they say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and I'm willing to bet that you, if you are, say, an accountant, for example, find a rare and satisfying beauty in a perfectly balanced spreadsheet. I mean, what sunset can compare to that feeling when all the numbers line up just so? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. (laughs) And isn't there a rare beauty in a garden that is free of weeds? Yeah, absolutely there is. (laughs) Others of you thrill, and I mean thrill, that is not too strong a word, you thrill to an orderly filing system. Mona Lisa, take it or leave it, but that filing cabinet is a thing of beauty, what you did there. (laughs) Or even the symmetry and the balanced design of a wheelbarrow. I mean, that is a beauty. I was working a wheelbarrow, and I just thought, this is a wonderful creation. (laughs) It's beautiful in its simplicity and the balanced, elegant design of the thing. It's really beautiful. There is creative beauty in almost every pursuit and calling. However, although there may be some overlap between the practical beauty of a wheelbarrow, what's this guy's deal with wheelbarrows, (laughs) and art, we all know they are not the same thing. Art is one of those things that is notoriously difficult to define. Bezalel and Oholiab are artists. This is a unique calling, and that's what we're trying to zero in on this morning. Art is one of those things, again, notoriously difficult to define. Many practical things that are built by men, things like buildings and bridges, they have a practical, structural form that meets a need. But they oftentimes are built with artistic flair. Like I I love seeing a bridge that has some sort of a shape to it or a design that's totally unnecessary as far as the structural elements of the bridge are there. But they're just built for what? To be beautiful. To just strike you the eye with, man, that is really lovely what they did there. Or it has some emotional impact on you that's totally separate and different from the structural demands of the thing. And human beings, for whatever reason, in every culture around the world, do this. 
We do artistic things that are completely unnecessary. Vulcans on Star Trek would look at it and go, that does not make sense. (laughs) You don't need to do that. It's wasted effort, wasted money. Why are you doing that? And human beings go, it's pretty. (laughs) And we continue doing it. And I want you to know something. In this chapter, God is commanding it. It is right and good. There is something going on here that reflects God that the absence of it would not. What can we learn about Christian creativity from Bezalel and Oholiab? The first thing I want you to see is the first thing we're told, which is that it's a calling. It's a calling. Not everyone is called to this. We might all be appreciators of it. We might all be beneficiaries of it. But only a few will be called to this role in the life of God's people. In Exodus 36, 2, And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. And there that word called exists. This, is, this time it's Moses calling Bezalel, but we already saw at the beginning of chapter 31 that God initiates the call. Moses is just following up on it. But one of the things I want us to see here about the nature of calling is this, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. You might say, I'm not good at it. I don't care. (laughs) That's not what defines calling. That's not what defines calling. I am, in a a very clear way now, in my walk with God, I feel certain about a few things. One is my calling to pastoral ministry. I do know that when that calling first emerged onto my life, I said no. (laughs) It's not anything I want, and I don't think it's anything I'd be good at. And maybe I'm still growing in the craft. Maybe you're looking at me and going, got that right. (laughs) And that's okay. I'm growing, I'm trying, I'm sincere, I want to be better. And that's what it is. I have a calling on my life, and for whatever mysterious reason, I can't do anything but. I just want to do this and nothing else. This is what I wake up in the morning thinking about, it's what I work on, I want to become better, and there's nothing else I want to do. I don't want to sell cars, I don't want to do any other job, I don't want to do anything but be a pastor. I want to teach God's word to God's people, and it's what... It just fills my heart with a desire to come do the work. What do you want to do? Let's start the conversation there. What mysterious growing attraction has God been growing in your heart towards some kingdom objective that maybe you don't even think you're qualified to do? That doesn't matter as much as your heart being drawn to it. That's where it starts. Now, we're going to talk about how Bezalel and Oholiab, though it may have started with a simple heart's desire, grew through expertise, practice, training to a place of great proficiency. That comes later. Emile Zola said this, the artist is nothing without the gift and the gift is nothing without hard work. But we're starting here with just that simple beginning of a conversation about calling. And that's what's happening here. Uh, I I know some pastors... um, well, we'll get, we'll get to this in a second. Hold on. The second thing we need to see here is gifting. It says that God has called them, but then it also says that God has put in them all these different things. Knowledge, expertise, wisdom, skill, abilities. 
God has gifted them, not just called them, but gifted them. These two things go together like peanut butter and jelly or Bezalel and Oholiab. We just have gifting and calling, and God has gifted them to do the work. And what we see here is consider the diversity of artistic gifts that we see in the Bible. And we see here, just in this part, there's metalworking, there's shaping and setting stones, there's woodworking. Guys, there's even fashion and design. Bezalel and Oholiab are putting together some pretty sweet threads for the people working in the tabernacle. Guys, fashion and design is what God called these guys to. That's not something we often celebrate in the church. But the first people who the Bible explicitly tells us were filled with the Spirit were called to do just that. Make clothes. Build beautiful things. And I think that one of the great needs of this hour is a need for men and women that have been shaped by the Bible who can speak the beautiful things of God and sing the great things of God and play the great things of God and paint and sculpt and in other ways portray him in ways that have never been said, sung, played, or portrayed before. This is really important to our God. This is the God who said, sing a new song. I personally am really grateful for C.S. Lewis's artistry in crafting through his gift with words, which is God-given, like Bezalel and Oholiab, the Narnia series of books. I've been reading over the course of this year, uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. We just read uh, The Horse and His Boy. We've been reading through these books with my uh, youngest, Charlie. He'll only be youngest for a couple weeks here. And then we do it all over again. (laughs) I've been reading them to Charlie at bedtime. And Lewis's gift for storytelling has helped create a natural, unforced springboard for discussion about Jesus. I mean, we'll read about Aslan in Narnia, and it's so cool, right? This great Lion King, and oh, it's amazing, and Charlie's really into it. And it creates this very natural door to then say Aslan is a lot like Jesus. You're actually living in a story that this story is meant to illustrate and portray. And I I remember telling Charlie, I feel like I'm Edmund. I failed Aslan so many times. I've betrayed him. And look at the way he just welcomes him back. And we talk about grace and the gospel. And that was done because C.S. Lewis wrote a story. That's great. So I'm really grateful for that. I, uh, I... I, I hesitate to say this, uh, but I, I will anyway. I, I, I don't like criticizing a pastor because I'm very criticizable myself. <laughs> but I knew a pastor once when I was very little, and I did not enjoy his sermons very much. I'll, I'll admit that. You guys can relate. <laughs> but the problem was he would take a text and he would approach it like, well, like if I, you gave a scientist the task of creating a superfood for human beings, and he went back in his lab and he said, well, human beings need these vitamins, this ratio of fat to carbohydrates, and blah, 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 blah. He put it in his computer and he came out, and then he put all this into a computer and it spit out this brick of food. And he said, this is the perfect superhuman food. Eat this and you will thrive. 
And you just kind of gnaw on it, and it's tasteless, but it's good for you, right? And I, know, and I had a pastor who was once like that. He'd just go into the lab of his study, and he'd dissect a text of the Bible, and he would say, here's everything people need out of this text, and he would just throw it out, out at you like a flavorless brick of Bible knowledge. All steak, no sizzle. Now, the other side of that equation is a pastor who's all sizzle, no steak. They're all storytelling and lights and mirrors and fog machines and no substance. I'm just saying that what we need in the life of the church is a balanced approach. Human beings are drawn in by beautiful, creative, imaginative ways of presenting things to them. If you're a Bezalel and a Holyab, I don't want you to think of yourself as a superfluous, marginal character in the work of the church. That's not true. You are a vitally important delivery system (laughs) of conveying biblical truth about God in ways that are accessible, beautiful, exciting. C.S. Lewis could have sat down and in just a few words laid out the main points of what he was hoping to convey in his stories, and none of it would have hit you in the zinger like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. It's just true. We need Bezalels and Aholiums. We also need academics who are dissecting texts and saying this is what's most needed in here. But in, we're a body now. We're not a single person. And so in the confluence, the bringing together of all these diverse giftings is God made visible. Is his stuff forwarded and imaged forth? And so what I'm trying to do this morning is not to downgrade any kind of Christian, but to raise up perhaps in our estimation and consideration those whose gifting may not be one that's often celebrated or thought about in the life of the church. You're an artist. And have you ever thought about why God gave you that gift and what it might have to do with furthering kingdom objectives? Application. I have three points of application in closing. The first is this. Giftedness is only as good as the cause that it serves. This is a very important statement. This is a very important thing to know. You've all been gifted. God has entrusted into your hands abilities, unique to you. You have a unique design. One of the greatest, most thrilling things in the life of a believer is awakening to a sense of how their created God has designed them to worship him through service. What has he given you? And then what are you doing with it? Giftedness is only as good as the cause it serves. Uh, Having just watched The Last Dance, the documentary I referenced about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is pathologically incapable of enjoying a good play from a player on an opposing team. (laughs) Zero appreciation for when Isaiah Thomas would have a dominant game for the Pistons. Can't do it. No appreciation at all for it. Because in his mind, that talent is wasted because it's not on the Bulls. And really, frankly, it's not in service to my own ego. (laughs) It doesn't help me. Now, the great story that we're all living in has a main character. It's Jesus. The great story we're living in is the story of God's plan to redeem fallen man. And your gifts can be horribly misspent. 
can be spent in an effort of self-exaltation. To shine as though you were the main character is the worst use of a gift I can possibly imagine. It is catastrophic and appalling. I heard a song on the radio, uh, and its sound was way bigger than its lyrics. It was like a gold box of just the finest quality. I shared this with you one time in appreciation for our worship team. It's like the designers of this box had imagined it filled with beautiful and meaningful things, but then the owners of the box had inexplicably chosen to use it as a repository for a few broken crayons, some candy wrappers, and a hair scrunchie. (laughs) The tune was the container, the lyrics its contents. It had a driving beat and complex layers of sound that danced and flirted before harmonizing into a beautifully simple symphony. It struck the ear pleasantly, but as I gazed into the contents, the lyrics, the words, I was sad to find that they were not beautiful or meaningful, or worthy. They were not even sufficiently cryptic that I could see in them whatever I wanted to see. They were an utter waste of that gift, and I was disappointed. And I don't want God to look at the life of Josh Tate and see something similar. Man, I gave him a beautiful thing. (laughs) I gave him abilities and gifts, and he's given you abilities and gifts, But let's peer inside. Let's take a look at what those gifts are being used in service to. Are people pointed to God? Are people made to think? Is it helpful, good, wholesome, righteous? Does it put God at his place at the center, or does it seek to put me there? Giftedness is only as good as the cause it serves. And we see this in Bezalel and Oholiab. Bezalel and Oholiab were called, they were gifted, and they were given a task to build beautiful things to the purpose of glorifying God. And they did. The second thing I want us to see here is that you are a tabernacle. And here I'm not just going to be speaking to the Bezalel and Oholiabs, but to all of us here in the room. The tabernacle was this place in the Old Testament scheme at that period in redemptive history that was a showcase of God's glory. It was a place where God dwelled in a special way in the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. But we live in a different age of God's redemptive story. And for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, it says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought it with a price, so glorify God in your body. Your body is a temple. Your body is the tabernacle in which God dwells. God indwells his people. You personally are the tabernacle. Now, God called Bezalel and Oholiab to make the tabernacle a beautiful place, a showcase that made God visible through the expert, amazing, beautiful artistry and craftsmanship. How do we translate that truth to the knowledge that we are now, personally and corporately as God's people, the church, that tabernacle, a living tabernacle? Well, I think we find a few clues in 1 Timothy and 1 Peter. For example, in 1 Timothy 2, it says, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves, 
not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. I think one of the ways that we're called to adorn, adorn the tabernacle of God in our lives personally is with good works. This is beautiful to God. 1 Peter 3, 3-4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Uh, this is God's bling, that we do good work, that who he is shines out of the inner reality of the work of transformation in our life. Now, that's a word for us all, but I'll bring it back around to just the Bezalel and Oholiabs in closing. <clears throat> the third thing to see here as far as application is that God didn't just call forth a gifted man, but rather he called a man to provide leadership and organization at the center of a creative community. John Piper says, God is infinitely worthy of ever new verbal, musical, and visual expressions. Imagination is contagious. When you're around someone, alive or dead, who uses it a lot, you tend to catch it. So I suggest that you hang out with some contagious people who overflow with imaginative ways of expressing things. The Bible may be the most imaginative book, Piper writes, not because it creates reality that is not there, but because it puts that reality in so many surprising expressions. Imagination is like a muscle. It grows stronger when you flex it, when you use it, and you have to use it. Bezalel and Oholi abused it. I believe that they probably got their start in these things in Egypt when they lived in, in bondage there. They probably were apprenticed in some way under that system to master craftsmen in Egypt. They brought those skills with them into the desert, and they themselves became teachers of those arts to their fellow Jews. We need a community of creative people who encourage one another, sharpen one another, say, that's good, but have you thought about this? We need all these things. And so I'm going to say this. If this morning's message has at all lit a fire in you, you're a creative person, you're aware of a gift, and you've just been kind of sitting on it, or maybe you've been working on it in secret, <laughs> here's what I want you to do. This summer, I want you to buy a copy of this book, Adorning the Dark by Andrew Peterson. And I want you to read it. Buy a copy of Adorning the Dark by Andrew Peterson. Give it a read. And then this fall, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a gathering uh, once a week for a span of a, a month or two. And usually when I do these kind of small group Bible studies, we work our way through a book. The book part will have already be, been done. You read Andrew Peterson's Adorning the Dark. And that has helped shape and frame your mind for what our group is going to be about which is about exploring, uh, speaking about God through artistic, creative, imaginative ways. The goal is not to put on a talent show or to showcase our giftedness for the purpose of self-exaltation, but to use whatever artistic medium that we are drawn to to make a worshipful statement about God and to share that with others. So I don't know what it is. 
I don't know if you're a photographer. I don't know if you carve wood in your spare time. I don't know what you do. But have you ever thought about using that gift to make a worshipful statement about who God is? And what we'll do is we'll get together over a span of weeks, and you can share your work and share what you want to be said through it about God. And maybe if we have enough participants and you're brave, we'll put on some kind of a cheese and cracker art show here at State Row. Wouldn't that be fun? I think that would be really cool. And some of you might say, well, that sounds fun and exciting, but what if what I make is amateurish and not a Bezalel-esque example of high art? That is totally okay. Bezalel had to start somewhere. And again, the goal is not that we produce high art, but that we point to God. And I'm not much of a singer, but I don't hold back from singing on Sunday mornings. I'm sure you don't either. I'm not a painter, but if I felt drawn to it, I would sure shoot and start it. (laughs) And you got to start somewhere, and it might not be great, but let's have a community of artists. Let's teach one another. Let's grow together in that creative, imaginative way of talking about God and showing him to the world. So the first thing you need to do, by Adorning the Dark by Andrew Peterson, and then this fall we will follow up with this conversation and we'll have that gathering. I'm excited about it. I think it'll be fun. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Bezalel and Oholiab. God, we saw in your word this morning that they were called You stirred up their heart to come do the work. And then, God, as they responded obediently, you gifted them. God, we know that you are not a God who calls the qualified, but you qualify the called. And, God, maybe there are some people here in this room who feel drawn to representing who you are and biblical truths and beautiful things about who you are in imaginative, creative ways. Maybe we have songwriters, maybe we have painters, maybe we have storytellers or dancers. I don't know, God. I don't know what mysterious things you've been doing out of sight. But God, I pray that you would draw that out this fall as we gather together. And uh, Father, our desire is that you would be glorified. We know we're not the main characters, but God, we really enjoy having you at the center. We feel like we're a group of friends sitting around a beautiful, blazing campfire. God, you're at the center of all this thing. And you shine in our faces. You fill this space with light and warmth. God, you are exciting. And we want to celebrate you through our gifts, whatever they may be. And maybe there are a few here at State Road who are Bezalels and Oholiabs. And Father, we know that this is important to you because... We just read it in your Bible. God, I pray also that we would take seriously the adorning of our tabernacle, our our lives with good works, with a spirit that reflects honestly who you are. God, that is a calling that's on all of us. We saw the care with which you designed your tabernacle, the care with which your servants decorated it and beautified it. And God, I pray that we would take the same care this week to thoroughly decorate our lives with good works. And Father, in all of this, I pray you'd be glorified. 
Be glorified in me and in your friends and in your church here at State Road. In Jesus' name, amen.